Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. They will cost... They will... It will cost... Um, about, about 80 million pounds. <laughs> well, 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 here we are. Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. It's been a tumultuous week, as always. Um, and, and this week is, is, uh, this, this week's edition, it's long. It's a long chat with Mark. I'm just going to go straight into it, more or less. A uh, few things, obviously. Bit of housekeeping prior to the chat. Uh, I did with Mark Pack, obviously. Markpack.org.uk. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 I think you guys are probably familiar with him anyway, because he's been on the show um, once before. I split, I split into three parts. And uh, he's he's the man. He's got the blog. He's got the website. He's got all the answers you'll ever need, ever need. And um, we, what do we do? We talk about crikey, we talk about everything, really. To be honest, um, future, past, and present. And yeah, obviously a lot of um, a lot about the general election, and that's what's important right now. So that's what we're focusing on, and why not? Um, what what to what to expect uh, in in the future? In future episodes, guys, we've got Matt Kelly from the New European coming on. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the hell I'm talking about. The New European is a uh, newspaper that comes out once a week, uh, and it's um, it's well, the New European. I mean, you know, it's uh, pretty much the most pro-European uh, paper going. I think. Well, obviously, it's only the only one really, uh, and, and it, it's great. You can really only get it online outside of London, but. Um, in London town, if you're living there, it's great. Uh, you get it. It's like two quid. It's thick, real thick, and it's got punchy, uh, tongue-in-cheek articles. Also, very um, you know to the point uh, uh, analysis of the the current political climate. And uh, Matt Kelly's the editor there, so he'll be on the show, and I can't wait for it because that that guy that. The, the head of the uh, the head of the uh, boat the head of the ship uh, pro Europe uh, pro European campaign um, it, it, it's it's good to get his his view on things and and specifically why that paper is doing so well um, obviously they're appealing to people such as myself who are you know very pro Europe um, and and people such as 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 you. You lovely person listening to this show. You know, I, I think if, you know, it's always great to have you back. But I'm I'm going to try and maybe urge you, urge you, shepherd you. Ooh, no, I don't want to sound like a, a farmer. Well, not a farming, but I mean, God, I tell you what, what I wouldn't give to just give everything up and just be a crofter in the highlands of Scotland. I think that's that chat with Alistair Carmichael that I did. It seems like ages ago now, but it, it, it put, planted a seed in my head. I want to be a crofter. Anyway, guys, um, yeah, I want I want you to like maybe take an interest in that simply because I think some of the um, the contributors to that to that paper are extraordinary. You know, uh, one that springs to mind would be Bonnie Greer and her absolute. I, I'm jealous of her, her her knowledge her history is, is her history knowledge is insane and um, and obviously her um, political accuracy is also something that I am fiercely um, uh, in, in favor of I, I, I 
have her on this podcast if I could. But, um, you know, trying to get hold of these people is darn difficult. But, you know, I'll try. I'll try my very best. But we, we will be chatting with Matt Kelly soon and that episode will be with us. Um, but, yeah, I do have to apologise a bit for being a bit slack because I did say this would be weekly and I feel like I've lied to you. It has been difficult with the, with the general election. You know, I've been doing interviews left, right and centre and, and trying to edit it all down. And and um, here I am making excuses already and the podcast isn't even a year old. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Okay, guys. Right. Well, here's here's the chat I had with Mark Pack. You enjoy you enjoy it, you know. I, I mean, it's it is good, and it's and it's long, and it and divide it up, press pause, press play, do whatever you want to do, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Oh, election! Yeah. All my plans for the next few weeks rapidly scrapped. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> clear the weekends. Well, clear we, the weekday evenings. We bumped into each other, didn't mm. we? Um, this afternoon. I was In the rain. This morning, but yeah. Um, and wh- where were we? What were we doing? So we were uh, awaiting the grand arrival of Tim Farron with yeah. his campaign bus. Yay! Yeah, yeah. We showed that we are very good at standing in the rain. I don't know if this is a core competen- competency of British politicians and British political campaigners, God but we can stand in the rain with yeah. the best of them. Um, <laughs> or under a really big yeah. tree. So we were, we were in North London in Hornsey Wood Green. It's the classic, used to be Liberal Democracy until the 2015 general election. Nominally, quite a large Labour majority, but a seat that voted very heavily for Remain. So like other places um, around London, such as Vauxhall and places around the rest of the country, sort of seat that maybe the Liberal Democrats have actually got quite a good chance of of winning back this time around. Because, you know, Labour MP uh, in Hornsey and Green, who nominated Jeremy Corbyn for party leader... Had Jeremy Corbyn actually been really bothered about the Remain cause and not gone on holiday at the beginning of the <laughs> referendum campaign, remember that? Yeah. We wouldn't be in the mess that we are now. So an MP very much at odds with the views of uh, of constituents, so definitely a real Lib Dem chance there. Yeah, no, that, that's that's quite exciting because I know that there are, there are obviously up and down the country, depending on which one you, you choose to, which constituency you choose to magnify, there are a lot of those, um, which would bring me on to my first question. Um... I mean, it, it's something that's kind of, it's been brewing in my mm. mind quite a lot because I know there's um, a percentage of the 48% mm. that seem to be, ah, uh, well, the Lib Dems are just going to take that. They're going to take that. They, they're going to, but I mean, let's be realistic. Mm. What do you think is the, 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 real, the realistic opportunity, should we say, the sort of vision that we can take from those seats like 48 percent how much do you think we can take there like 10 percent of the 48 four percent of the 48 i think it's really hard to judge because we've got this very unusual situation um which i struggle to think of when it's last happened you know at a british election where there's a really dominant issue in this case you know brexit that's absolutely at the top of the political agenda and which voters say matters to them massively as well but also it's an issue which doesn't fit within neat party lines. So normally in the past, when there's been an issue that's been really at the top of the agenda, like maybe unemployment or the state of the economy or tax policy, so it's been pretty clear if you take one view on it, then that means you're pro-Labour. If you take another view on that issue, you're pro-Conservative. And it's sort of fitted within how the two-party system works. Yeah. The thing with Europe is it just doesn't fit within Labour versus Tory at all. It's not only that Labour has got, say, some MPs who are genuinely very passionate about Remain, but they've got a leader uh, who absolutely isn't passionate about Remain, and they've got a voting record in Parliament, a voting, uh, you know, to, to essentially give the Tories a blank cheque uh, for Brexit. Um, but and likewise, on the Conservative side, uh, you know, the Conservatives have got a leader who voted Remain, she tells us, in the referendum, and I'm sure that's true, but he's now really pushing a hard Brexit, but they've got a lot of supporters, for example, from the business community who are very pro-Remain. So yeah, yeah. we've got this dominant political issue that doesn't fit with the party system that we've got at the moment. Yeah. Now, that might mean we only get a little bit of change at the edges in the election, or it might be this is one of those elections that in 50 years' time will be the election that people get taught about in schools because it's something that is turns out to be the fulcrum of the remaking of the party system in Britain. Yeah. So, I mean, re- realistically, I suppose there's this sort of gung-ho mm. aspect from the press that would say, here's the 
The Lib Liberal Democrats, mm. we'll talk about Liberal Democrats, obviously, um, for a little bit here because that's where the angle we're coming from, I suppose. But the the 48% there is, is ripe for the mm. taking and the Lib Dems are going to clean it up, mm. right? But is that a realistic stance to take? I mean, is that crazy? I, I don't know. I, I think going from 8% to 48% in one leap in one general election might be just a little ambitious. Yeah, but, but Tim's but, saying but, that, right? He wants to be the opposition. Yeah, there's, so. there's definitely a huge pool of people out there who, under other circumstances, if, let's say, Britain had voted to remain in the EU in the referendum last year, yeah. there's a huge chunk of people who wouldn't be thinking about the Lib Dems and are thinking about the Lib Dems now because they are pro-Remain and they want to do something about that. Yeah. Um, so the potential there is great. What I think we will see is probably a lot of variation between different constituencies, so that in places where the, there's a really good, intensive Lib Dem campaign it's able to win over an awful lot of those people. In other places, they might, you know, be quite warmly disposed to the Lib Dems. Yeah. But if there isn't the intensive local campaign, their usual habits might well kick in. Um, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if, you know, even say in London, we see neighbouring constituencies that are demographically quite similar, but one has an intense Lib Dem campaign and therefore a huge increase in the Lib Dem vote, and another one has a very minimal amount of campaigning happening on the ground and the Lib Dem vote doesn't, doesn't really budge at all. So my, my local um, constituency, Lewisham East, um, that would, um, sorry, I'm, I'm Lewisham West and Penge yeah. actually, um, that would be Jim Dowds. Mm. Uh, he's stepped down. He's a Labour MP there. And um, they've got, you were saying the, um, is it uh, someone's sister has come in? And, oh, I think maybe I was having a chat with someone else this morning about this afternoon about Yeah, this. I think it was someone else. I yeah, don't, I don't yeah. recall the sister conversation anyway. Yeah, so. it, it was uh, so an MP who is already in the Labour Party. He's, he's basically mm. being sort of parachuted mm. in there for Jim Dowsey. So Jim Dowsey is a fifth, it was like 75% mm. remain vote, you know. And uh, and I think he was a bit of a Corbynite anyway. And then you go uh, just literally a few pegs up the road and you've got um, Simon Hughes's mm. ward. The Lib Dems are flocking mm. into into Bermondsey, mm. Southwark area yeah. too, to help that. But at the same time, there's huge council mm. unrest mm. in uh, Lewisham, mm. Pen, Lewisham uh, Western Penge. And that's right for the mm. taking. But it, it's all money, right? It's all resource. Mm. And... My worry is that it's all too much too soon for the Lib Dems. You know, give it give it like two years time when, well, let's, you know, I'll be crude when the shit has really hit the fan. Mm. Um, it's too, it, it'll, that's when, you know, we'll be like, oh, okay, that's when we needed the Lib Dems and they weren't quite what they were what now, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I hope, I hope that we don't fall under the, I don't know, the, the, the bus as it were on this um on too soon yeah i mean i think as you say there are a lot of seats where you look at oh that's interesting the mp voted one way their constituents voted the other and probably more seats like that than the party has the capacity to fight the sort of really serious intensive campaign that might result in a liberal democrat mp being elected um and in that sense you sort of think, well, maybe if the election had been a year, in another year's time, we would have been in a stronger, better position. Yeah. Uh, but an awful lot of the huge influx of money and members and volunteers there's been has happened because the election was called. Um, and had the election happened further off in the future, the Tories would have had more time to get their campaign machine up and running as well. They'd been caught on the hop just as much as the Lib Dems, although it's their own party that called the election, but they've been caught on the hop just <laughs> yeah. as much. Yeah. And likewise, who knows, if the election had been in a year's time, maybe Labour would have uh, dumped Jeremy Corbyn by then. I mean, all the signs are Labour are going to lose votes uh, votes and seats in the council, by, in council elections coming up uh, in a few days' time. If Labour lose seats in the council elections... That will be the third year in a row. They've, they've been in opposition and they've lost council seats. No opposition since records began has has done that before. So to lose seats three years, that would be unbelievably bad. And who knows, perhaps this is one of the reasons why Theresa May called the election, that she thought, you know what, if Jeremy Corbyn ends up you know, overseeing the worst ever run of council election results for an opposition party, perhaps he'll go and therefore maybe Labour will get a better leader and so mm. perhaps, yeah, best to call an election before that happens. So who knows, if if everything had been put off another year, 
maybe things would be a bit better for the Lib Dems, but but lots of reasons to think that wouldn't necessarily be the case. Yeah, yeah, no, I suppose I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate Mm. there. No, you paint paint quite a good picture, actually, there, because it's like, when is there ever going to be a good time? You know, especially with the, you know, the the, the Lib Dems as they are, you know, well, they probably always will be. But what's, um, I mean, because you touched on the... um, the local elections, and I almost completely forgot mm. about those. I mean, obviously because of the general mm. election. But what what can we expect from them? Is can we are we able to say right? I, I obviously I believe mm. personally that there will be a huge influx mm. in Liberal Democrat seats. Mm. We've already seen that. We're up like thirty two mm. seats in six, in the by elections. In the yeah. by elections. Um, so do we go? Oh, we did really well. We're we're gonna be the next opposition. Do Labour? They they they're gonna you know they'll lose seats. Are they gonna get whitewashed? Do is there any, um, what's that word you use? Like coalition? Is there any between the correlation? Gen- correlation, the, yeah. Correlation so I think, between the. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the council elections that we've got coming up uh, across all of Scotland, all of Wales, and huge chunks of England, I think are. I mean, for a start, they're important in their own right. A lot of the, the, the councils and the directly elected mayors and so on that are up for election actually have quite a lot of real power to directly influence people's lives. They'll also obviously be looked at as a sign of how the general election might go. Yeah. Um, I think the signs are it will be bad for Labour. You know, Labour may well even lose one or more of the directly elected mayors that they would have otherwise have been expected to win win comfortably. Yeah. Um, for the Liberal Democrats, it looks like we'll gain quite a few seats. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll gain slightly more than the Tories. Maybe we'll gain slightly less than the Tories, but that we'll gain quite a few seats. That will obviously be a big boost for the Lib Dems, particularly. I think the contrast between Lib Dems gaining seats and Tories losing, uh, sorry, and Labour losing seats. Yeah. The uh, the other bit will be the question about how do the Lib Dems do in areas that voted leave in the referendum, which would have been interesting anyway, but all the more so with the general election just around the corner. So across, for example, Cornwall, do the Liberal Democrats make gains, maybe even gain control of the council? Or with Europe now so much in the news, do we actually struggle to make headway against the Tories? And that will be a good sign for our prospects at gaining seats at the general election. Um, One thing that has been surprisingly positive about council by-elections for the Lib Dems in that respect is our vote has actually been going up more in areas that voted leave than areas that voted remain. Can you explain that? Because I don't get that. Uh, It is puzzling, isn't it? It, uh, You you sort of do sort of double take and think, have I read this data correctly? Is this data from a credible source where somebody's worked this out properly, etc.? I think part of the reason is that even in areas that voted leave the Remain cause has helped the party recruit really good activists and really good candidates. There's a great example of this uh, in one of the by-elections we won off Labour a few weeks back, where if you look at the literature, Europe doesn't get mentioned at all. If you look at the account of the campaign organiser about why she joined the party and got stuck in, it's almost all about Europe. Okay. Um, and you know, in many of the seats that we've been winning, for example, in the southwest from the Tories, the candidate has been, say, a new person who's joined, enthused by Europe, or indeed somebody who, say, maybe used to be a great local councillor in that area. I've made under coalition, they either got disillusioned or maybe lost their seat, and again they've got reenthused and reinvolved. So yeah. I think. So the fire's been lit. Yeah, and 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 one should obviously be careful about putting too much emphasis on, oh, this is brilliant, this is motivating our activists, this is motivating our members, therefore we're going to cruise to victory, because Jeremy Corbyn is also taking that approach, and he's cruising to disaster, not to victory. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for the Lib Dems, it does seem to have been a significant factor, uh, and that therefore helps explain why we're doing well, even in, in sort of leave-type areas. I think the other thing is that where we've done really well in those council by-elections, we've sort of re-established ourselves now as the main alternative locally, whether it's to Labour or Tories, depending on which party is in power locally, but we've got ourselves back to being the other party in yeah. that local two-party system. So we've kind of distanced ourselves from the disaster of mm. the um, being in coalition. Mm. That's sort of the green shoots is coming up again, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I know that a lot of people, um, I, th- I think for the Liberal Democrats, that amount of power, I just don't think we, are, we were capable of... of uh, of harnessing it properly mm. without infighting and also um, the wider public, mm. I think, were just like, well, to a large degree, we were a protest party mm. for quite a while. I know I mm. I certainly looked at the Lib Dems like that, but also because of my, you know, core belief in liberal mm. values. But um, I just, I think maybe we're re- reconnecting with that mm. now. And above all, this is like, you know, 
um, I think I mentioned this with you last time. This this could be our Iraq war, but we didn't really. The stance we took on Iraq really only came into fruition. What? Two years afterwards, mm. or a year, you know. Yeah, and, not, and the other thing about it. the Iraq War is that it very quickly became, for people in Britain, an issue of the past. I mean, the legacy of the Iraq War is still a major issue for contemporary Iraq. Yeah. But in terms of British politics, it was okay. Tony Blair has made a decision. That decision's happened. At the next election, you can vote a verdict on on that decision. But then, what next? It it sort of was okay. This is now an issue that's in the past. Mm. Um for issues to do with Britain's relationship with Europe and Brexit and so on, it's not going to be an issue of the past. It's not like we're going to have this one general election and that's the end of it. It's, yeah. There's then still the rest of the two years negotiating period, but then quite possibly the period of an interim deal. And then there's years and years and years of free trade negotiations and the like to come. Yeah. So I, I, I think this will be an issue that has much more potential as being the, a bedrock of liberal democrat growth because it's an issue that will continue to be one about the present day and the future and not just one about casting a verdict on the past. Okay, so if we're talking about the um, time... I'm sorry, I'm looking at your neighbour's board game here. I just remembered that. From, uh, Bounce of the Dog. Do you remember God. Bounce of the Dog? Oh, my God, yes. I never been I'd... never been as good a dog in soap opera since. Oh, I was a bit... Controversial view, I know, but <laughs> it's been downhill since Bouncer. Well, was... Have you noticed as well as I've removed the cobwebs? Oh, no, you may remember were, last time there no, was the big cobweb. They were the best. Now. They were the best that's, part. That's gone. Yeah. They they were like you know they they added the authenticity yeah. of the whole place. Like once again, Mark's um, bookshelves are unbelievable stacked. and cobweb free. I'm just yeah. emphasising cobweb free. We we're gonna have to have a, like a tour, like a a, tour um, of the books. Yeah, definitely. But that board game, that neighbours, is definitely that. That is the pièce de résistance. <laughs> um, oh God, I've lost my train of thought. I'm so stupid. Um, but no, no, I think I think it was, yeah, that was it. It was along the lines mm. of after this whole mm. storm of the yep. general election. Mm. So obviously we had the referendum mm. and then we had Cameron leave. We had, you know, all these people just piss off or whatever, mm. cabinets reshuffled. Yeah. What's going to be Theresa May's realistic strategy mm. after, Corbyn's strategy mm. after and Farron's strategy after? Obviously, depending on if the opinion polls stay as they are now? Well, I mean, the really odd thing about Theresa May's government is that firstly, it's completely dominated by carrying out Brexit. You know, that is such a mammoth thing that it's taking up a huge proportion of the government's time. But remember, Theresa May didn't actually vote for Brexit. So you've got this really weird thing of a government being completely dominated by something the Prime Minister didn't actually originally vote for. And that that is really an unusual dynamic. But also, there are so many elements about how she runs things that really sound like the dog days of somebody who's been in power for 10 years. The way she's got this tiny, tiny courtier of close close advisors you know and, and that's, that's the that's way like the home office yeah right yeah well and also now in government you know yeah. the way she's got this tiny number of people who she listens to who she trusts how almost everybody else complains they they can't have any influence they just you know there's only a t- you know a t- two or three people they can talk to who can actually speak for everything it all sounds like what you know the the last days of say gordon brown as prime minister was like it all sounds like yeah. what you expect to be the last year of somebody who's been a prime minister for 10 years heading to defeat. And yet, this is how she's running things as a, you know, still a fairly new prime minister heading towards her first general election with a obviously quite decent chance of winning. Uh, so, so the whole style of government is a really sort of unusual one uh, in both respects. Um, and I still think there's the risk that she will therefore end up a bit like a John Major figure of, you know, when John Major was Prime Minister and he pulled off this shock election victory, there was the, oh, all this talk about how the Tories will be dominant forever and all yeah. that. And then within a few months, it was disaster, catastrophe. Britain plunged out of the RM in Major's case. And there was so much damage done to the Tories during the second half of Major's premiership that they ended out of power for... Uh, you know, the best part of of, of a decade, uh, a decade. Well, slightly more than a decade, ninety seven to twenty ten. Um, so, I mean, obviously the Tories are in a strong position at the moment, but it does to me feel like it's a really brittle 
position because yeah they've got a leader doing something that wasn't really what she wanted they've got this sort of really small network of close advisors with everyone else feeling excluded and that ends up breeding discontent etc you've got an economy whose outlook is at best very choppy uh, over great, the next great, few years and you've got down. this huge yeah. you know election finance scandal hanging hanging over it all i can easily see how in a year or two's time the tories may be uh, just in a complete disastrous unpopular mess or cruise to election victory and everything may go brilliantly there's there's a, such a wide range of plausible outcomes yeah. at the moment i mean I, I do want to touch on that i don't want to forget so much to talk about but people don't people don't realize this this scandal Mm. You know, it's expenses, mm. right? You know, elections yeah. get, uh, um, expenses yeah. scandal. I mean, that mm. that is enough to uh, uh, unseat. Was it how many MPs are under investigation? Is it well, we don't. I mean, what we know at the moment, at the time of recording, yeah. is the police have referred files, as far as we know, on around thirty people to the Crown Prosecution Service. Now, the assumption is that it's probably pairs of people. So, where it's an MP, it's also their agent. Um, so that means at most it's probably 15 MPs and their agents. Okay. It may be slightly less than that, that there's a couple of people at central office, former sort of central conservative officials who are also being, being referred up. So it's maybe between 10 and 15 MPs. Um, but that would make this the, the biggest political scandal sort of full stop. You know, even with during the elect, elect, uh, sorry, MPs expenses scandal, you didn't have that number of MPs up for prosecution all at the same time. No. Um, so this yeah. is the scale of this is really is it potentially is really large. Well, I I think the um, the case against them is really really strong, and um, because if you look at what the electoral commission has already investigated, already ruled on, already fined the Conservatives over, the electoral commission's report says very explicitly there was all of this expenditure that took place that wasn't on the constituency expense returns and it should have been. The reason though the commission yeah. then didn't say you know, punish the MPs for that, is they then said that bit of the offence is actually not regulated by us. So they said, we've looked at the evidence, we're absolutely sure stuff wasn't on the constituency expense returns, which should have been, but that's then a matter for the police and the CPS to decide on, not for us. Okay. So we already have had an impartial body trawl through all of the evidence, hear all of the defences, etc. Will the, 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 the police and the CPS, therefore, will that process result in prosecutions? I think the odds are fairly fairly high that they will do. It's possible the CPS could look at the evidence and come to a different conclusion CPS from the commission. The Crown, Sorry, the Crown Prosecution Service, yeah, so the yeah. independent body that decides whether yeah. to go ahead and prosecute. I think it's unlikely they'll look at the evidence and come to a different conclusion from the commission, given the commission's already been through it really thoroughly. What the CPS might do, though, is they might say, well, you know what? We've just not got a good enough chance of proving that somebody knew something wrong was being done and being able to convict them. Yeah. This was what happened with Labour's dodgy donation scandal back when Labour was in power. One of the things that was exposed, ironically by the Mail on Sunday, good example of why you shouldn't always just hate tabloid newspapers, because they <laughs> yeah. did really good investigative journalism and they exposed this scandal of donations to the Labour Party being hidden under fake front names that they got people to donate that were essentially recycling other people's money. Oh, right. um, and in the end, the outcome of the investigation into that was to say, and you can, you know, it's, you can read it in the report, it's all public and so on, that three different former treasurers of the Labour Party gave mutually contradictory evidence. So they were not all telling the truth, yeah. but they couldn't decide which of them was lying and therefore they couldn't <laughs> prosecute, um, which is a sort of weird standoff. And which is why I think one can both with absolute confidence say, uh, yes, Labour broke the law, but it's also true that actually nobody, no individual was convicted for it because yeah. they couldn't work out, well, the three of you can't all be telling the truth. We know at least one of you is lying, but we don't know who, so... <laughs> I love um, that. That's like... And Throwing as much shit as you yeah, can. It, it, and it's like it it's like stick. the plot for a sort of uh, a Hollywood movie or Spoof. something, isn't it? You it's know, like a Mel Brooks it's, spoof. Yeah, it's, um, so it might be that in this case, the CPS look at the evidence and say, "Look, yeah, we know the limits were broken, but we're not confident that we could get a conviction that the particular name that's in the frame in the dock." was the person who should take legal responsibility for it. So, yeah, for, and this is completely uncharted territory. I mean, we've never had. Uh, anything like these sorts of prosecutions before. So 
you can't really refer back to anything else to say, well, look, based yeah. on that, this is likely, this is not likely. And this heading into a general election as well. Part, well, it's yeah. it's the puzzle of why Theresa May has called the election well, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, maybe she's thought this through really carefully and has thought, well, actually, if she'd not left it longer and a whole load of her MPs were up again, you know, were up in court, that would be so problematic. Better to call the election sooner and try and get a majority, you know, a bigger majority in first <laughs> to insulate you. Yeah. Um, but in that case, why not call the election sooner before you know with the CPS? Because then it, it does seem odd to, to call an election where the CPS announcement quite possibly will be in the middle of the campaign. Yeah, I mean, I hope it doesn't get swept under the, the rug on this one. I mean, it's a, it's a massively important issue that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. I just don't think it's something that cuts through, especially now. But but anyway, no, my mm. I do want to get back on to... Um, I mean, is it is it safe to say? It's safe to say. Is it logical mm. to say? Um, right, June 9th, Labour have lost fifty, mm. sixty, seventy seats. Mm. You know, as predicted, Corbyn is gone. Mm. McDonald's gone. Is that mm. is that? Or will they? Are they? Do you see them hanging on with well, legitimacy? I, I think it's very hard. And probably unwise to try to judge Jeremy Corbyn by normal political standards. Um, and I guess if you're an enthusiast of him, you would say that as well, because after all, he did end up winning the Labour leadership election twice. Um, but I say that in particular because his whole political career up till now has been based on turning up to things. Now, if you ask people who are fans of his why you know why they think he's great it's all around how he turns up oh he always turns up to the rallies he's always at the protests he's always at the residence associated meeting it's it's, it's turning blood, up to it? things it's not yeah actually achieving anything people praise the fact that he turns up to protests not that he actually has won significant changes in the legislation in the country likewise people um and, and normally you judge a politician by what they achieve there's something about just for corbyn being present is the thing and likewise you know corbyn's record is not one of being successful at persuading people who don't agree with him to agree with him it's it's very much about playing to the gallery of the people who already agree with you even if they're quite a small number of people um so i mean in any normal political world yeah getting completely walloped in the election the leader <laughs> will go but given his whole life is about you know, getting completely walloped yeah. and still carrying on. Yeah. Will he go? Will he not go? And, you know, if you're that far in, surely you want to at least make sure that somebody who succeeds you is of a similar similar political ilk. So I don't think it'll yeah. be just, you know, Gordon McDonald upping sticks and going. No. I don't, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think they're, they're in for the long haul because that's what they're good at. They're, they're, I mean, he's battled his whole life, no? yeah. you know, and he can take that battling mentality from the back benches he's had for decades onto the, you know onto the front bench and boom, there you go. But I mean, obviously that if 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 he does fall on his own sword and there's a restructure, mm. are we looking at a completely different new Labour, new Labour almost? Um, not obviously Clive Lewis, because he's not at all. But I mean, um, people such as Chuka Muna, who would shape the party uh, and uh, Clive obviously mm. as well. I like, I like referring to Clive Lewis as Clive because I think he is a great guy he's a yeah. nice guy but um, is, is that a, a prospect of if Corbyn and McDonald go then a, a light perhaps of some sort of alliance well I think there seems to be a real dearth of talent in the Labour Party at the moment there aren't really that many obvious plausible alternative leaders um, so one thing I suspect people are, you know, from all across the political spectrum will be watching with interest is, is there somebody who really makes their name with the me their media performances during the general election? That does give okay. somebody the opportunity to really carve out a reputation as, oh, well, maybe they could be the next uh, Labour leader. But so far, it does seem to be a really thin sort of pool of talent. Um, it's a shallow pool, I guess. I'm not sure if you can have a thin pool, a shallow you can, pool, you can, a thin pool. Uh, you know, so if, if it's cold, it'll it'll uh, ice over quickly. Then yeah. it's a thin layer of ice. So a thin yeah. and shallow pool and, to be, a, be on and, the safe side. Thin and shallow. Yeah, yeah like all my girlfriends joking. <laughs> I disassociate myself from any comments <laughs> that have just been made. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I I like I, I know it's very. I don't want to be deliberately um negative i mean 
you know, there's a chance that Jeremy will stay and and he'll do some good. I don't know. But at the moment, it does look like if he were to go, then there would be a huge reshaping of the Labour Party and there's no getting away from that. There's, I don't think he's, he's had enough time to mould anyone in his own image and the party in his own image. So it's sort of, it's a natural thing. But turning over the page then, um, metaphorically, um, would be to look at the Lib Dems. Mm. So... If, at the opinion polls at the moment, where are we? Like eight percent, ten, eleven, twelve. Back, yeah, back into double figures. You'll be glad to know. Back into double figures, but yeah, sort of ten, eleven, twelve type yeah. uh, band. So, so up it... on the general election, up on where we were pre-Christmas, but yeah, still a long way to go. And that converts into roughly three extra seats, four extra seats, five extra seats. I mean, at the moment, would you be happy if the Liberal Democrats walked away with converted from nine? MPs to 19 MPs? Mm. Would that be a, a, a decent result? I mean, I think the um, there's a very wide range of plausible outcomes at the moment. Let's hear them. And let's, I mean, let's not, for, <laughs> well, let's not forget that you know, most of the Lib Dem seats are held with the Tories in second place and the Tories are up a lot more in the polls than the Lib Dem. So yeah. plausible scenario at one end of the spectrum is, oh my goodness, we come out of the election with fewer seats than we went in. Even if our vote share is up, you know, 2010 like votes up, seats down. Uh, so that's one end of the spectrum. Right at the other end of the spectrum is, yeah, you know, Lib Dems get a boost during the election. Our vote share goes up another few points. We maybe end up polling somewhere in the mid-teens. Mm. And but we do particularly well in the seats where we really pile in the effort. And it ends up being sort of like a 1997 type result where we get nearly the share of the vote that we got in 97, mm. do really well with our targeting and up to sort of 40 plus seats. Yeah. Um, and anywhere between those two extremes as well is, is, is perfectly plausible. So I think there's a massive range possible, of possible outcomes yeah. at the moment. And one of the reasons why it's difficult to sensibly pin, you know, pin it down within that range is there are, for example... Lots of you know, disillusioned Labour people who are pro-Remain and they don't like sort of Corbyn in the current direction of the Labour Party as mm. a result of that. But they really don't like the Tories. The Lib Dems are not naturally who they would think about. But mm, they're pro-Remain, so maybe. Yeah. What way, which way will those people break? Um could you know if, if if a decent chunk of them break Lib Dem, then there'll be some really dramatic Lib Dem gains. Yeah. Uh, if they all stick with with Labour, then it may well be well, up a little bit in votes, up a little bit in seats. Nothing, yeah. nothing much to write home about. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I would personally, and I think it's important um, at uh, anyone who is um, dreaming of that, you know, the Tim Farron mm. line of vote for us, we'll be we'll be the yeah. next opposition. We could be the next opposition. I think it's important to obviously. You know, not to get. I've always got carried away. I don't know. I've always. I think it's just a boyhood thing of like some sports thing. Oh, we're going to go out and win seven nil yeah. today. No problem. I just think. How often won, did you actually win seven nil? We won. We won eight nil <laughs> once against Sunderland. Southampton did, and it was glorious. That's once in thirty-five years. But um, but that's the once is enough the to one, fuel your exactly. But it's good, and then we sold all our players, so that's great. Um... And it's kind of like you could say maybe that's what happened uh, with us in 2010. And we sold all our players and our values. Oh, joking. And um, and look where we are now. But, I mean, it, it's just one of those things for me. I want to manage my expectations. Mm. And I think, genuinely, 10 MPs would be great. Mm. I think that's, that. you know, it's not, you know, great. I think we'd probably get, you know, a bit of, um, we'd get a bit of grief. Mm. But I think that's okay. I, th I think 10 MPs would be fantastic. It's just, what do we do afterwards? Mm. Uh, is the party happy with that? Has has Tim proved mm. himself? You know, people said today, I heard Ian Dale, uh, Ian Dale on LBC saying that, that he's growing into his role. Mm. That's coming from Ian Dale as well. Which is, yeah, and he, I mean, Ian is um, not that popular with many Lib Dem activists, but actually <laughs> yeah. I think he yeah. is... He's a good yardstick of a broader set of uh, opinion. Yeah. Um, and... Of course, I often don't agree with Ian's opinions, but the fact that somebody like him is being impressed with Tim Farron, I think is worth noting. I say that not only because Ian is my publisher, but also genuinely because he yeah. does reflect a wider segment uh, of opinion. And I think there are s several things that we could come out of this election with that are actually not directly related to 
uh, votes and seats. So one is how much further does the party's membership and donor base grow? Not just in terms yeah. of the mass number of members, but yeah. there are a lot of quite rich former donors to Labour and to the Tories who are quite keen on Remain, don't really like Corbyn, etc. So do we begin to grow the scale of organisation that means we can really challenge up there with 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 Tories or what Labour used to be like? Right, um, yeah. So it, yeah, if we end up picking up three or four or five you know, really significant large donors, that in itself is a really important sign for the party's future. There's the wider media credibility. You know, mm. So if it, is it not just Ian saying it, but is it even more journalists across the across the spectrum saying it um and i think there's also an extent to which you know even if um where we don't necessarily gain huge numbers or seats of votes is it enough to really firmly establish ourselves back as the third party in mm. england and the fourth party probably in wales and scotland um so in scotland you know if we actually end up gaining three or four seats Politically, that could feel like a much bigger step forward than you might just think from the pure maths, ma mathematics of it, because yeah. we're a party that was seen to have fallen so far uh, and so fast, and that in the Scottish elections last year, we basically tr trod water. There were some promising green shoots, if you sort of looked carefully, yeah. um, and fantastic result like Alex Cole-Hamilton sort of winning uh, the Edinburgh Western constituency seat. But overall, our, our number of you know MSPs and votes were not bouncing back up uh really so yeah they, they, there's all sorts of ways in which we could come out of the election being seen as a in a stronger position as more clearly one of the parties around which the future politics will get shaped yeah um which is partly dependent on seats and votes but not purely dependent on seats and votes yeah no it's just i suppose because i know that this could be our last chat mm. before the general election I mean, if we, if you live closer, mm. I'll probably be knocking on your door every bloody night asking <laughs> for analysis and what have you. Um, but let, let's, I mean, let's just be uh, boys, mm. boys at school and in, in the playground, and we're we're massive geeks, and we want to talk about positives. Who do you think's gonna win? Who do you think's gonna win? What what's your gut instinct? What how do you think your gut instinct is? And uh, no, mm. not so much variables, but what's your your gut here what's going to happen well i i think my gut is telling me it's it's not a good idea to avoid the variables if i yeah. can cheat in my answer like that <laughs> yeah i think though yeah. nate silver actually in his commentary on the, the u.s sort of polling expert nate yeah. silver he was really smart in the run-up to the last u.s presidential election in terms of thinking about what are the number of things that would have to happen to change the result. So, you know, although yeah. the, the polls overall showed Clinton ahead in the popular vote, as indeed she ended up ahead of the popular vote, they also showed her winning more states than she actually won, and that's why she ended up losing to Trump. But one of the things that Nate Silver and his team repeatedly said in the run-up, you know, to polling day in the US presidential election was, yet yeah, Clinton is ahead, but she's only ahead by a standard polling error. So if you look at the average error in the polls in previous US presidential elections, if a similar error, you know, was going to take place and it was taking place in Trump's favour, then actually Clinton would no longer be ahead. Okay. And I think that way of sort of, of 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 understanding the range of likely possible outcomes is a much better way of looking at things than just plucking one number out and saying, yeah, that's the one I think. And so I think there's yeah. genuinely a very wide range of possibilities, particularly because yeah. of this big unknown about the Grand Prosecution Service and what they'll do about the Tories. There's also this question about how far might Labour melt down. It's worth remembering that in 2010, mm. uh, you know, tail end of Gordon Brown's government, Labour crashed to defeat. They actually won many more seats than people were expecting. So that there was a certain almost institutional structural sort of strength that Labour has mm. because of a particular concentration of resources. Yeah. And Labour have got a little bit of advantage this time. The meltdown in UKIP is benefiting the Tories in terms of votes. Mm. But if you remember a few months back, what lots of people in Labour were fearing was that UKIP would make great inroads into their support. Um, mm. So Labour are in also their own sort of slightly counterintuitive way, yeah. benefiting from the, the UKIP meltdown as well. Yeah. Um, so lo huge number of very plausible outcomes at the moment. And I yeah. think the, um, yeah, it's it's hard to paint a picture in which Theresa May is not the leader who has the most MPs at the end of the election. Yeah. I mean, even if a, there's a big political scandal and that really hits Tory support, it's, you know, it's still quite hard to see how that wouldn't result in Theresa May having the most MPs. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But 
let's not forget she's going in with a small majority. Yeah. She wouldn't have to go backwards very far at all to be back into minority government territory. Yeah. I think it would be minority government, not coalition with the Lib Dems. Tim Farron's been very, uh, very clear on that. Yeah. Um, but so that's possible. You know, we could end up with this being the most famously ill-judged calling of an early election. Yeah. If you know, hit by scandal in the middle of the election campaign and you end up without an overall majority, yeah. everyone will be saying, oh, what a stupid decision that was. <laughs> yeah, it will be a bit like James Callaghan is notorious for having not called an early election in 79 or Gordon Brown for not calling an early election in 2007. Maybe it'll be, yeah, Theresa May 2017, what on earth was she thinking? She knew the CPS were about to publish the It's just... On the other hand, yeah. of course, Tories are wearhead in the polls and they might sweep all before them and it'll be a complete landslide and you sort of think, well, why was anyone ever doubting it? Yeah. Both, I think, at the moment, uh, quite plausible outcomes. So have you got your uh, extra supply of coffee ready for the, um, the, the, the election night itself? Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is that, that our exit polls have got a track record of being really very accurate. The, had a I, really turn, good I, turn, I turned it off so, at 10 past yeah, 10 so, on 2000, 2015, yeah, such so um, yeah. So, so I, you're right, by 10 past 10, we'll probably know the result. There'll yeah. be a lot of entertainment or fear or horror or joy to be had for the next 24 hours but yeah. by 10 past 10 on polling day we'll probably have a pretty good and where do you, pretty good idea where are you going to be are you going to be in a town no idea somewhere? yet yeah. no idea yet do you get like do you get like an open invitation to wherever whichever town hall you like or do <laughs> you have quite, to, do you have to quite. be like me you have to go and <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. you know hammer on doors yeah. in one constituency. i'll probably i'll probably find a seat where they need an extra pair of hands at the counter yeah then. and uh, go go and go and give the, the lib tem team there a hand god uh, but it's yeah, it'll be, I mean, those few minutes, you know, well, what everyone's waiting for the exit poll to be published, they'll be. Yeah. Because full credit to John Curtis and all the other team, they've got a really good track record of doing exit polls well. Yeah. One of the reasons, an interesting, I, many years ago, I heard Nick Moon, who was then working at NOP, I think, I think he's not anymore. Um, NOP? Uh, so one of the polling organisations. Okay, yeah, yeah. Brought, caught me up on my acronym there. Well done, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. um, and he was talking about, just the work they do into getting exit polls right and so on. He was explaining one of the reasons that they put so much care and attention into it is that they also do exit polls in other countries. And if you're doing an exit poll in a country with a more unstable democracy, if you get the exit poll wrong, and therefore the exit poll is different from the actual result, I mean, you genuinely risk triggering riots and violence and all yeah. sorts of consequences yeah. because there'll be a chunk of people who say, look, the government rigged the election because the exit polls. Were... So there's a real pressure on on sort of the exit poll community to get their polls absolutely right because yeah. life and death really does rest on it in a way that is just. I mean, it would scare me. I think I never want to have anything to do with organising exit poll. <laughs> in you know, you think, my goodness, the responsibility here is really hefty. Yeah. And luckily, all of that for us in the UK, all of that skill and knowledge. And expertise also gets transferred over to doing exit polls in the UK. So yeah. the exit polls have got one general election wrong, basically 19, uh, sorry, 1987, where the initial exit poll said it might be a hung parliament. But mm. if you look in the record books now, you see a Tory majority, a sort of Tory landslide, probably one yeah. would even say. Um, but but even then, they have the Tories pegged as the largest party. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, exit poll's pretty accurate. So, yeah, you, you, we can all go, go to sleep at 10 past 10. No, I think you're right. I... I, I, I personally feel that it's just going to go down to um on on the day people will just look at that uh ballot piece of ballot paper they're just going to put across next to what they've always put across next to i don't i don't think i think people are genuinely scared actually mm. to be honest i think they do genuinely they will mm. take that um party slogan that theresa may keeps mm. on repeating which we're not going to yeah um and and it's just gonna yeah it's gonna work mm. I, I think but um just before i say see you mark yeah um, the Lib Dems are on this. Um, their their, their message is mm. right. Pro Remain, pro yeah. Remain. Second referendum. This is us. This is us. A referendum on the deal. It's not yeah. rerunning the first referendum. It's saying, yeah, yeah, we had the first referendum. Fair enough to negotiate their four terms. But once we see those terms, somebody's going to make a decision on whether or not to accept those terms. It's... Why should it not be the public that gets to decide yeah. on that? And I think um, Sarah Johnson, right? She she said that really well mm. on uh, Ma this mm. week, and uh, and I, I, I yeah, fine. I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, it just makes sense. Mm. That's, I don't think that's like anti-establishment mm. to just say, hey, you know, a, a say on the deal. Mm. Come on. Um, but in terms of grassroots mm. campaigning, <clears throat> what 
other issues are the Lib Dems likely to pick up traction on, other than EU, other than um, Remain? So I think there's likely to be two. One is the NHS. Uh, it's an issue that's very important to lots of voters. If you look at the policy work that Norman Lamb has been doing, um, he's clearly been sort of taking the party towards a position of saying we will raise tax, maybe income tax, maybe national insurance, maybe something else, but we will raise tax to put more money into the NHS, particularly to fund social care and improve mental health provision. Yeah. So I think it's likely the manifesto when it's published will... Uh, will have something in that area, and the NHS, you know, will be a big issue. It's also an issue that ties very closely to Europe because of the number of NHS nurses and doctors and other key staff who are EU citizens. So, absolutely, likely to be an important issue. God, yeah. The other one the party has been pushing hard is education, which Tim Farron has said, you know, education is my top priority, um, and it's probably not as important in voters' minds as some other issues. But it is something that is definitely important mm. and a lot of Liberal Democrats are very passionate about, particularly because it fits with this idea that we want to give everyone the chance to be whoever they want to be in life and education is a really important part of that. So I think education is the other thing we'll see Liberal Democrats yeah. pushing a lot. Will it be, I mean, because, you know, people say education, they're immediately going to think tuition fees, right? Or, you know, uh, uh, you know, on the scale. Political you're... activists yeah. do. The wider public, you know, if you look at the Lib Dem campaigning in different council elections, by-elections, etc. You know, there is a lot of mileage to be had yeah. in education. The fact that the moment you say education, a Labour activist on Twitter screams, tuition fees! Yeah. There's no reason to sort of steer clear of talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just because we're all in our own little goldfish bowl. Like, you mm. know, we're activists and sort of like we're still hung up on stuff. Mm. It's like you said, I think a lot of people are over that. But yeah, no, I just hope that other stuff cuts through. Mm. I think that's my point of asking that question because I... I I suppose people will get sick and tired of Theresa May and Europe and the battle between it. And they'll go, oh, hang on, what about my school? Mm. You know, what about what about the NHS? Mm. And then, you know, obviously that's yeah. Labour's ground, the NHS. Yeah, although degree, I think but... one of the things that is maybe sort of, I think that makes, say, Brexit very different from housing. Because housing is another issue that you know, if you talk to people, not about party politics, but just about life, housing comes up time and time again especially in london but not just in london the cost of finding somewhere to live and all that however housing generally doesn't move very many voters at election time in part in large part i think because people don't feel there's much of a connection between who you vote for and improving the housing situation brexit by comparison is very clearly immediately related so brexit is all about a decision and set of decisions that politicians go and make. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's such a politically sort of powerful and important issue at the moment. It's not just the inherent nature of the issue and all mm. the different ways it affects people's lives, but also the fact that it is so clearly, yeah, this politician could do X, a different politician could do something different in a way that people don't really feel that having a different housing minister will make that much difference to housing policy. There's just more complexity. Yeah, and you and I might well think, oh yes, of course, you know, a housing minister could do this or this or this, and that would be very different. But for the public as a whole, there's a feeling that, well, yeah, everyone talks about they want to tackle the housing wow. crisis, so does it really going to make a difference who I vote for? And yeah. actually, yes, I would say they do, but clearly that's not what the public thinks. Yeah, that's an infuriating topic mm. for me. I mean, just simply because of driving east to west every day mm. and just seeing the luxury apartments. Mm. But anyway, I mean, obviously the 18 to 24-year-olds, you know, that's going to be another mm. another uh, topic mm. to... Uh, or another scenario that could... If they come out and they do their thing mm. and they vote... <laughs> <laughs> you know. I was um, I was doing an interview this morning with a French radio station, and I was saying oh, actually eh? the um, in English I should say I'm not talented enough to do it in any other language other than maybe sophology speak. <laughs> but um, one of the things I was saying is that it definitely getting young people involved in the political system, getting them voting from an early age and all that is all really good and desirable. But it's worth remembering that um, older people actually are more likely to vote, hmm. and it is normally the sort of slightly plaintive plea of the defeated candidate about it was brilliant. We energized young voters, the future. Uh, and they, you know, that's that's what that's normally the route to defeat <laughs> is to sort of focus on people who are less likely to vote. OK, you know, I mean, it, it sort of stands to reason when you say it like that. You know, what's the best route to victory? Yeah, it's to win support from the people who are most likely to vote. Um, and it's very, very rare for an appeal that's based on 
a low turnout group of people yeah. to really be effective. Now, possibly the referendum, because it was so close and had a surprisingly high turnout in many respects, maybe that is one of those exceptions. Okay, yeah. But any any political party that's basing its appeal on, we're going to do really well with these people who are less likely to vote, especially if they go even further. And we're going to do even better at getting these people who aren't registered to vote, to register to vote, and then to do something, and then to vote, and then to vote for us. That is just piling improbability on improbability. So okay. definitely, you know, it's really important that, for example, local councils put in lots of efforts to get young people registered to vote and then to yeah. th- encourage them to vote. But as a political party, if, if you're going to go for somebody who is not on the register and if they are on the register, not so likely to vote, and then if they do vote, may well not vote for you, that's a losing strategy, not right. a winning strategy. It's why the Tories you know, have, have often done so well at election times because you don't get many features about you know, what voters over 60 are doing. Yeah, You get yeah. far more stuff about 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds, but the voters over 60, loads of them, and they vote. Yeah. And they determine who wins. Triple lock. That's why the triple lock for all of the issues about whether it's the right policy or not. Yeah. And I know it's quite controversial with some fellow Lib Dems, for example, and certainly with people outside the Lib Dems as well. Massively effective policy. And it's why it looks like having toyed with dropping the triple lock that Theresa May has sort of blinked and, and step back from that because it's a policy that's directly relevant to the people who will determine the result of the election. Yeah. All right, Mark, well, should, should I leave you alone now? It's 20 past eight, for goodness sake. I've been like... That's know, okay. It's interesting stuff, as it, ever. It is good yeah. fun. I really enjoy it. I didn't... Because um, obviously you're up here in North London and I'm down yeah. there in South Yeah, I, I must come you head know. your way next time yeah. we do one of these. I will definitely head your way. I'll get Bobby or whoever. Yeah, yeah that would be good fun. Elaine's great for a chat yeah. as well. Anyway. Um, Excellent. Good Lovely chat. to see you as ever. We just shook hands, listeners. See ya. Bye. Oh, Mark, say goodbye. Bye-bye. So, welcome back. How did you find it? I did enjoy that a lot. I've got to say, it, it was a crazy old day. Being up in South London one minute, and then the next North London campaigning, Tim Farron here, Ed Davey there, freaking... Jeez Louise, Sarah Olney, um, Vince Cable, of which didn't get chat with any of them because it was, to be honest, a, a campaign bus massive launch thing. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was high octane stuff. So um, anyway, just to bring you back, um, Mark Mark Pack, his website, markpack.org.uk, it's great, and uh, it's great, guys. It's, it's really great. It's really great. It's beautiful, actually, uh, you know. You, you can get an email sent to you once a day, or you can get uh, once a week. And they're really short, concise blogs, um, topics of the day, all political, all great. So, in, in, another, in another, I suppose it is important perhaps to touch quickly on the council election results that came through because yeah they weren't particularly fantastic for the liberal democrats um or anyone on the left to be honest except maybe maybe the green the greens did pretty damn well actually and and that's um just just to say like yeah they're not getting enough attention it's it's disgraceful um and they should be getting more jonathan bartley was on this show and i think those of you who did listen to that show would agree with his politics and i think it's um more it's more important than ever to just go in places like Southwest Surrey, where they where they are doing these progressive alliance, these these obvious moves to to unseat people such as Jeremy Hunt that don't deserve to be in politics. That um, yeah, they're getting together and, and they're saying, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to stand aside. We're going to get t- take the take the fight for an in, for the independents out there, and there are quite a few standing against the the government at the moment and um yeah so what i'm i suppose what i'm getting at really is when a party like ukip is decimated but still get attention as if they are the maybe the third largest party in westminster it's slightly worrying that's all i'm saying it's slightly worrying so the death rattles going on for, for ukip tories obviously getting stronger and stronger i think you a notive how strong they're getting was um, Theresa May saying that, yeah, we're just going to bring back the old fox hunting. Yeah, we're going to debate it in Parliament. And by the time, you know, well, 
by the time that they're back in, it'll probably just go through anyway. So that was a shocker for me. Animal rights activists, as, as I am, it, it's a bit shocking to think that that could well, well and truly be back on the agenda. I know that Cameron faced it faced it down, but still, with the mindset of the of the current sort of political climate that we're living in, blue passports, uh, grammar schools, leaving the European Union, cliff edge, fox hunting, it's just getting a bit too much. So, anyway, but um, how did the Liberal Democrats do? They didn't do particularly brilliantly. Um, but they didn't do particularly badly either. I think the, the tendency here is obviously to say, is this going to translate to the general election? I personally don't think it will. And I think also it does serve well to manage our expectations here. You know, we're, we're still... In terms of, you could almost look at the Liberal Democrats being a new party in terms of the massive earthquake we suffered um, in 2015. And we're rebuilding under Tim Farron. And to say, if you were to say, focus on the West Country, for example, oh, the Liberal Democrats, they didn't, that fight back was, that was nonsense. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't, didn't evolve. Of course it didn't evolve. Crying out loud. You know, the election's only been, what, the referendum's barely been, it's like 10 months old, and 11 months old, rather, and it's in a leave constituency to turn people's heads around. You're going to have to, we're going to have to see some, the the negotiations that Theresa May is going to, um, hopefully, oh my god, I don't know what she's going to do, but if the, any of the rhetoric that she keeps on spewing out from 10 Downing Street is anything to go by, then... That's the kind. That's the kind of language that's probably might turn the head of the Leave listener out there, and 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 furthermore, like the cuts that are going to be taken away from the uh, the funding that's going to be taken away from those communities within those Leave areas, stretching all over the country, or you know, places like Port Talbot, for example, or whatever. Now, I know I'm not focusing on the West Country, but, you know, when those millions of pounds have gone, have been taken away, I, you know, it's going to be hard not to see that as a negative placement immediately on that community. So what I, I guess I'm getting at there is that give it a couple more years, guys, you know, and... Jeez Louise, I mean, this this general election, we'll see, but I don't think we should be reading into the council elections too much. But it it was a bit of a it was a bit of a um, a downer, I suppose. But I think if you're anything like me, and I mean, I'm I, obviously I'm in my bubble of London. I'm going to get out there soon to other constituencies, relatively soon. But the fee the feeling on the ground over here, the door knocking I've been doing, it genuinely feels like. One in three is potentially going to go Liberal Democrat voting strategy. So, and then you've got to look at people like Simon Simon Hughes, who who is pro-European. He's a progressive politician. He's loved in his community. And I know I'm, I'm just saying this because he's been on the show recently. And I am wittering. I am rambling on here. But I will say that there are plenty of people like Joe Swinson, Simon Hughes, that can invigorate and ignite that passion for politics and and for the remain campaign and get back into parliament and and fight fight the fights and i think if those voices do get in and the bbc and the media give them fair crack of the whip then in the course of these negotiations we will see heads turn i i really believe that and i think yes this general elections come too early and, and it was a cynical power grab blah 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 we all know it we all know it but I think give it a little while longer and I, I think you'll see the worm turn as Paddy Ashdown did say on this podcast not so long ago although it does seem like decades now decades that's an exaggeration prone to exaggeration on this podcast um, so guys yeah before I go it has been a, a mental week and I've been enjoying the uh, chat on, on Twitter you can carry that on as always it's um, Limehouse Pod on Twitter and of course, uh, we're, we're, we're on the email. So, I mean, 
give us your questions because I've, I've put a few of those questions to Mark um, this week from a, from a couple of you guys and it was it was great to actually have that ammo um, I felt more confident actually um, and you can do that by sending an email to the Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com and maybe I don't know you can go to Facebook and do the same thing and just chuck a question or two at me as long as it's nice and, and polite um, and yeah I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy that feedback because obviously it's a one just me isn't it so I don't know how you got how you're feeling you need to tell me how you're feeling how are you feeling do you want me to you know write a song about Brexit I can, I'm not going to do that that would be weird and crap but yeah um, take care um, um, before I truly go this time Matt Kelly's on the show coming up the editor of the New European if you don't know what the New European is it's obviously a heart-shaped love story for uh, the the EU as it is and has been and you, you can you can get it online and you can buy it if you're in London for a couple of quid it's massive it comes out weekly or massive it's got it's got fantastic content shall we say and um you, the subscription's mega cheap. You get like 13 issues for 13 quid, and they'll deliver that all across the UK. So it's it's a fact. It's you know got fantastic contributors to that, and um, always love Matt Kelly's um, editorials. They're always pretty intense and in a good way. Yeah, I like that. You know, no holes barred, man. You just get straight to the point there. So I'll be chatting to him about his views, his paper, the history of it, the recent history, obviously, because it's quite a new paper. And, you know, after that, I haven't got anybody lined up. Um, so, oh, no, I'm lying. I've got Sarah Rolney lined up. I'm going to be going out very, very soon and chatting with her um, because she's a new MP and she's fantastic to talk to. And I've enjoyed talking to her in the past. So I thought, why not? Let's do it. And I do. I'm going to go out to freaking other places as well outside this London bubble and actually go and talk to people um, and see how they feel about this election and uh, yeah on that note guys see you on Twitter at Limehouse Pod see you on Facebook the Limehouse Podcast and don't be afraid to leave a review on iTunes because that goes a long way take care love you bye <laughs>